Hey, welcome to a fresh episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. Our second ever episode, our sophomore episode, if you will, as long as we're throwing around the big words. Uh, and speaking of big words, we had in uh, today uh, IBM fellow emeritus, that's a word that Frank taught me, <laughs> Jeff Fry. Uh, and it was, it, was a, it was just a really good time, a really, really great person to have in here. Yeah, in fact, it was so good. Uh, we kind of lost track of time as we were talking to him. Yeah, we kind of just looked up at the clock and, oh, wow, that's an hour that just went by. Then <laughs> rather than subject you to a full hour of us talking to someone, we thought it would be better if we split it up and made two episodes out of it. So we cut it up into two halves. Uh, you'll get the second half of it next week. The first half is really uh, more of a career kind of thing. You talked about how he got started and really how he was pivotal in the creation of Sysplex. Uh, also, as an aside, producer's note for this episode, uh, we, we are still new at this. Yeah, so you may notice that one person, you know, the older voice, the more mature voice, was maybe a little less loud than the other. Uh, we, we are learning. And, and we really want to hear all the comments, but if the comments are, I can't hear Frank very well... <laughs> then, you know, we know. But, of course, if you think that you should hear Frank more, that would be worth it. Yeah, let's let's wait for those to come in. <laughs> All right, without further ado, here is part one of our interview with IBM fellow emeritus Jeff Fry. It's time for the podcast with two hosts who are certainly on demand. It's Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. Here we are with IBM fellow emeritus, Jeff Fry, who has gone from music, because you're a musician. Well, not really. You're a drummer. Right? drummer. That's correct. Yeah. So That's correct. Uh, your first love was, was music. And how did you go from there to mainframes? Well, you know, I had to um, – I, I actually wasn't good enough uh, to make a living uh, with music, you know, and it was – it was too risky. Not not that I knew anything about computer science or, or any of that either. But uh, the actual story, if you you know you re really want to know how. Oh, yeah. I, all right. Well, <clears throat> um, I got out of high school, um, and I'm standing in the line at the registrar's right to, for college, and uh, to sign up. And uh, I swear this is a true story. Um, and I'm standing in line, not knowing really what I was going to do, and uh, I, I feel this tap on the back, on my shoulder, on the back, you know, and I turn around, and there was an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, blonde Italian uh, uh, student there. And uh, she had questions uh, about the form or something that was going on, and she said, uh, what's your major? And I said, well, what's your major? And she said, computer science. And I said, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an absolutely true story. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so uh, actually my dad was, was, uh, was a programmer. Uh, and uh, he brought the first 360 into Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio, where I was born. And... Uh, that's another story, but my birth certificate actually has the word IBM on it. Um, back then, in 1960, um, 
programming was literally synonymous with IBM. So under father's occupation on my birth certificate, it, it literally says IBM. <laughs> so I, I was kind of destined to be. Uh, <laughs> he had IBM you know, in his blood. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, at the time, I, I, uh, I got out of school in 83, and um, I had done some co-op work and, and worked on uh, mainframe systems and wrote some, wrote some CICS and some DL1 database, and, and uh, I just took a liking to it. And, uh, and, I, and I realized even at that time what a huge inf impact and what a huge contribution this mainframe system was making to the world. I mean, you, you just couldn't, you, you just couldn't uh, not see that, right? In the, in the academic world, right, everybody was Unix crazy and, you know, we were on uh, PDP-11s and, and VAX systems, et cetera. But, you know, when I, when I did my co-op then and went into the real world, right, um, people were running their shops on mainframes. And uh, I was already somewhat comfortable with that, uh, given the limited experience I had with my dad programming. Uh, he was a COBOL guy, you know. Um, so that's, that's kind of how, how I fell into it, Frank, you know, just... just uh, so you were able to get your actual hands on a mainframe system fairly, I won't say easily, but early on in your career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in... In my first year of college, 79, 80, uh, it was punch cards, right? Uh -huh. we, would, we would have to sit down at the, at the key punch uh, and do that. But, uh, you know, I was running stuff on a, on a 370, 168. And, uh, you know, as part of the coursework, uh, you know, learned 360 assembler. Um, in fact, we were running on a 370, and I used to cheat and use the 370 instructions <laughs> when it was when it was a 360 course, and I, I got I got some amount of uh, criticism for that. Right? <laughs> uh, shift and round pack decimal wasn't available in six in 360, <laughs> but you know why write that stuff by hand, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so fairly early on, fairly early on, yeah. So you started uh, you started doing that. Uh, at a, obviously right out of college, what brought you from there up to you know IBM Fellow? That's a you know that's not a title that gets earned very often. Yeah. Well, how would you describe your your career? What were the steps that got you to that? Um, yeah, that, that you know I I um, to to be honest, uh, guys, I I don't really know in, in that I, I never had a real plan. Um, I, uh, the one thing that was completely obvious to me um, from, from the first day I, I walked into school and started programming was that I just loved it. I mean, I just loved it. And to this day, I, I love it. Uh, I work on, on stuff. I, I write code, you know, as a hobby for the Mac. And speaking of the sound stuff, I, I wrote a, a music player, but uh, I'm always trying to learn, you know, new environments, new programming environments, et cetera. Um, and there's very few things um, that that have given me just just consume me. I just loved it, and uh, and so I think one of the things uh, that allowed me to be to have some success at IBM was uh, that enthusiasm and that love for it, and especially in the mainframe environment. 
what I think people don't appreciate if they haven't grown up around the mainframe or contributed to its development is that it's – this is going to sound a little cliche, but it's, it's special. It's special not only because of its history and because of the contribution it's made to the world and continues to make to the world, uh, but it's also special because of the people that build it. There's a there's a um, there's a whole kind of perspective and a culture around uh, the mainframe um, in, in terms of how it's engineered. Um, people really care about this platform. People care about the platform. People that build it care, and people that use it care. Um, and uh, so, whenever you you kind of make something your own and you invest in it um, and it it's a part of you right i used to I used to take great pride in knowing that code that I had written was running all over the world and and basically running the world's economy um, and uh, and I also took it very personally when uh, when i didn't do do it quite right mm-hmm. um, you know there are there are folks at IBM where uh, I keep challenging them to find the second bug I ever introduced. Uh, <laughs> Rich Pruitt. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when, um, when you make something your own and it's a reflection of who you are, I mean, mainframers have that, right? They, you know, it's not just a system that you work on. It's not just a piece of code that you've written and now it's somebody else's problem. Uh, it's a reflection of you. And, um, and I, I don't think that, you know, it may exist in other places, but um, uh, I, th- I think it's pretty rare. And it's that sense of ownership and that sense of, of uh, connection with the mainframe uh, that kept me um, uh, a part of it for so long. Uh, that is one of the unique things I kind of found early on is, is the, the integration between the applications, the middleware, the operating system, the hardware and to a certain degree the infrastructure itself. Yeah. There's no it's not easy to draw a boundary in a lot yeah, of Yeah, no, that's 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 really a great insight. You know, we um, a large part of the value proposition of the mainframe is that level of integration. Um, unlike other platforms where, you know, the all of the layers of the system uh, are you know, I'm not I'm not you know, naive enough to suggest that they don't work together. But when you build a system with a view towards um, the entire stack um, and you make design decisions and architectural decisions based on where things should be, right? Where, you know, that a big part of, of architecture is not just, you know, um, building something complex or, you know, uh, beating your chest about that. You know, part of it is, is knowing how to extend a system and knowing where things should be placed in in the entire stack and the entire architectural you know uh, kind of scheme of, of the platform and and because we were such a, a tight-knit community right with the middleware and the software uh, applications compilers firmware operating systems virtualization and you know all of that we consider as part of the part of the whole right so I think I think we certainly within IBM the mainframers were the first to have a multiple you know multiple disciplinary 
uh, design council where we brought all of these folks that owned uh, various parts of the system together and uh, got to decide, you know, how to extend the system and how to make it better and how to add new features and most importantly, uh, how to do that in such a way where it really provided end-to-end value, right? So if you want to introduce 100 new instructions into the, into the processor, well, why are you doing that? Well, it's because IMS needs this and DB2 needed that and it'll make, you know, the kicks run faster. Uh, or whatever, right? Better recovery or whatever. So uh, there was a lot of exploitation of the underlying features of the platform um, that were, you know, a requirement for us, you know, extending the platform in, in certain ways. And we took that holistic view. That's that's a uh, really good insight, Joe. Yeah, back, back in the 90s, I think, was the first time we had worked together um, back in system object model, just so you yeah. that? remember that. What's that? <clears throat> It was uh, the precursor to what became WebSphere. It was uh, yeah over over several several <laughs> uh, evolutionary steps. Yes, yes, yeah. It was it was an interesting time. Let's it, put it that yeah, way. It, but you were you were uh, already. I don't think you were DE yet, but but you were already um, a person of note. But but that was fr- primarily from a software perspective. When did you kind of make that leap to to really doing um, a, a deep understanding of what was going on hardware? As well, as? well I, thank you for. I think that was a compliment. Uh, I, I think if you asked, um, you know, some of some of the real hardware guys whether I know anything about hardware, <laughs> they'd say, "You're kidding, right?" Um, and so, yeah, you know, ask ask Charles Webb or Bill, <laughs> Bill Kostenko whether or not I, I know something about uh, uh, the machine. We should probably set a rule that, like, the second or third time someone's name comes up, we they have, have to, to show up on the show. show yeah, yeah, I, well, I so invite those guys. So one more Charles Webb gets on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I think it was um, – I was also lucky enough uh, in my career early. Uh, I hired into a develop, an MVS development for those who don't remember, MVS was the was the name of the operating system when I joined the company. Yeah, we, we should probably pause and, and talk about the lineage of the name. Uh. Yeah, I'm not sure I know all of the steps, but you know when <laughs> when you know MVS was which is now uh, I assume it's still called ZOS. We, we still call it ZOS. <laughs> um, I I hired into an area of MVS development, software development called supervisor control. Uh, a great guy named Stan Diorsi uh, hired me, uh, and uh, and what was so cool about that area of the system was uh, I considered it to be one of the central points of uh, you know most critical parts of the operating system. That's where the dispatcher is. That's where a lot of the interrupt handlers are, lock management, um, and a lot of support for the other critical functions of the platform, right? Whether it's real storage management or I/O or whatever. And so, uh, along with that came um, the necessity to understand how that operating system software was interacting with the hardware. And what that leads you to is architecture, CPU architecture. And uh, so that led me to uh, have to interact with CPU architects. And I I just take a moment here. I was thinking about this interview, uh, kind of prepping for it mentally. Um, And I realized uh, that, you know, during those early years, I met some absolute 
uh, heroes in this industry. Um, uh, for those as old as I am, will remember uh, uh, a gentleman named Werner Buckholz, who was a CPU architect uh, here in, in Poughkeepsie in the mainframe. And uh, just just as an aside, I mean, this is the guy that coined the term "bite," right? <laughs> so we we were working with people. I was this young kid working with people that, right, literally invented some of the terminology for for computer science. Wow, and. Um, so, but that gives you if you if you want to understand a machine, right? Not not necessarily the implementation of the machine, right? You go to Charles Webb for that, <laughs> right? Um, but if you want to understand the architectural notions of of a machine, you go to the CPU and I/O architects, you know, guys like Ken Planbeck and Ron Smith and and uh, Werner Buchholz uh, at the time. So that got me interested and in, and in exposed to well, geez, you know, this software actually has to run on something and ask to control and talk to something. And uh, I, I think the other part of it is, so, so you got to have the opportunity and the, the environment, you know, right, in, in which to work that allows you to explore some of those things. But the other thing is, you've just got to personally want to do it. You can't be, I, I tell, you know, people that I had mentored over the years, you know, don't be bound by you know, what, what you think your assignment is, right? Uh, and I know you guys uh, agree with this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, go where, you know, if, if something, if there's an unanswered question, go, go find out, you know, go find out what that's about and try to answer it. Go explore, e extend your reach, right, across political boundaries, across organizational boundaries. And uh, so eventually... Right? Not only do you acquire more knowledge that way and you get a better understanding of overall what the system is doing, uh, you also meet people that you wouldn't have met you know, if you stayed in your office doing what was assigned to you. Um, so I, I, um, I, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, presume to say that I was, I was an expert in hardware, but um, I know enough about what the operating system – at that time touched, whether it was firmware, hardware, the subsystems, databases, transaction systems, languages, right? When you're at the center of ZOS, like, like I had the opportunity to be, uh, it touches everything. And so you, you get an experience and, and, and the ability to kind of learn a little bit about everything, right? Which is also dangerous. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you know, you know a little bit about everything, which is... As long as you pull it off well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do things typically enter, you know, you're trying to stay interested. Obviously, being in any place for 30 years, you don't stay still. You have to become interested in things and move yeah. around. How do things typically enter your radar? Is it just, I'm, I know this thing and this thing touches this and now I want to know more about it? Or is it, I think this is going to be important in the future? How do things typically wind up being your, a, your next thing? Yeah, another great question. You know, I, you're forcing me to kind of think about these things I haven't thought about in a while. Um, there, I think there are a couple ways. When, when, I, was, when I was younger and, I, you know, you start to develop a reputation for being um, a good guy and, you know. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely doesn't yeah. know. Well, I didn't for a long time. Um, and by that I mean, you know, competent and your your works of good quality. And yeah, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard about our first podcast? 
Yeah, uh, Jeff deleted our first. Yeah, uh, well, first yeah. Recording, so. Well, we can tell lots of stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We should get off this now okay. yeah. before so, it gets yeah. bad on me. <laughs> um, so uh, I was uh, – I moved from uh, my development job into uh, – at the time was MVS Design and Architecture. Uh, and that's where uh, some of the people – it was kind of a natural path at that time, especially in the development area I was in, um, uh, to follow the footsteps of people like, you know, Carl Clark. Uh, you know, to many of the audience that, you know, maybe that name doesn't mean anything. But Carl was just uh, one of the smartest guys and one of the most, you know, one of the greatest gentlemen, right, that you'd ever want to meet in this business. He couldn't help but love him. And uh, and Mike Mall and and some of these people uh, came out of the development area and started doing design work and architecture and and, and strategy work. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of the the path I followed. So um, when I, you start developing a, a, a kind of a reputation for that, one day this guy named Mike Swanson walks into my office. Uh, who was uh, very highly respected and is part of, of this design team and this architecture team. Um, and he says, hey, um, uh, we, we got a big problem. We're going we're gonna to move off of bipolar technology and you know, onto CMOS, and we're going to go from, you know, 50, 50 MIP uh, uni processors to 12. And, uh, you know, we got to do something about that. So... He says, I, I think we could couple systems together, right, uh, and, uh, and make this thing called a sysplex. What a concept. And, uh, and uh, you know, what's going to be different about that is, is that it's going to do data sharing. In other words, unlike everybody else in the industry at that time, which, you know, people were kind of um, building configurations where multiple machines would talk to each other, but it was more of a, a loosely kind of distributed kind of thing where you'd pass, you know, it required message passing between the nodes of the configuration. And that was, in Mike's view and, and our view, even, I hold this view even today, uh, fraught with problems uh, in terms of um, continuous availability and scalability problems, et cetera. So Mike, Mike had this this idea that we were not going to do that, that we we're going to do something really different. And he just walked into my office and said, hey, you want to help me build this? And uh, this is the other thing about how I kind of – I, I want to – I was going to say managed my career. I never I never did that, <laughs> which which is evident by this this example. But, you know, Mike came in and said, you want to help me build this? And I said, yeah. Um, Apparently, uh, I probably should have asked a manager um, <laughs> uh, whether that was going to be okay. Uh, but I said, I said, yeah. And uh, so that's one way is that people that, that had uh, a little more experience and, and vision and, 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 you know, were faced with uh, constraints in the system or problem in the system or um, the need to incorporate or ad adopt new technologies that were inevitable, right, uh, at the time. Um, you know, people who had that understanding of the system and, and of our customers and how the system was used, they come, you know, they come to you. Once you get more of the experience and you become a little more senior, then, then you take on that role 
And, uh, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, looking beyond your headlights and and really understanding. And I know you guys, Frank, I, I know in particular, uh, you know this, you know, you, you find out what customer customer problems are. You know, what are the constraints? What do they want to do? How do you how what is it that you need to do to enable this platform that has so much value in the industry and is providing so much value to customers? How do you how do you continue to have it provide that value in the face of of an ever increasing pace of new technology and new approaches, uh, et cetera, that are moving in? So, you know, um, you mentioned you mentioned SOM. You know, when I got off of Sysplex. I don't know how I heard of this 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 thing that was going on, but uh, SOM stood for S- uh, System Object M- Model, which was the object model in uh, OS2 at the time. And, uh, you know, at the time, other than maybe on a purely academic uh, basis, nobody knew what objects were in mainframe. Um, and I, I kind of I got interested in in that because I I didn't really have any object-oriented training or, you know, I'd always felt that I could uh, think abstractly uh, because, you know, if you're going to be a good architect, you kind of need that. But um, then I met a guy named Rob High and and I credit Rob for, um, I think Rob almost more than anybody else in my career either introduced me or forced me uh, to, to look at software systems in a completely different way, right? All of a sudden, uh, modeling became important. All of a sudden, an object-oriented approach to things became important. And, and so, you know, I just wanted to pursue that and, and this new set of, of development paradigm and application development and the way uh, applications were starting to be developed and, you know, the, the requirement for applications to interface with the web, right? All of this stuff was coming to bear and we said, well, we need, we need some, some of this stuff on, 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 on the mainframe. Yeah, it sounds like you're just constantly turning corners. Yeah, you're not necessarily you know, leaving the building, but you're okay. Oh, now I can see what's ahead. That, that's the beauty of this of, of this system um, is that, you know, it has its roots, of course, architectural roots, and in, in you know, as back in 1964, right? Um, but it is even today one of the most advanced uh, platforms um, in the industry, and that's because it has an amazing ability. To, to, to have new technologies, new approaches uh, uh, integrated into that platform uh, while at the same time preserving the investment and the compatibility with everything that's run right on, on the machine before it. it. It is a marvel of engineering. And so you asked, you know, why, do I, why, why was I so interested and why did I stick with the mainframe all of those years when, you know, I don't know if – if I'm going to offend anybody here or not, but you know, when when you know distributed systems hit and you know different platforms were hot, and you know there were a lot of people that kind of jumped ship right at the time when mainframes you know were looking. It was about the time of Sysplex, and we moved to CMOS. Uh, if anybody knows that history, um, and uh, you know there were those that were here that said, no, 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 no. This is this, there's too much value here. There's too much investment here. This is at the core of what IBM is, right, as a company, 
And, you know, this is, this is a challenge. There, there needs to be a major technology shift in the implementation of mainframe. But that, that, that does not translate at all to, you know, the mainframe is dead or the mainframe, you know, can't evolve, right? And we've proven that time and time and time again. Um, there are environments that are as, as, uh, uh, as modern and as current, right, of, as any in the industry, right, that uh, run, not only run on the mainframe, but run well on the mainframe, run securely on the mainframe, run with high performance and scalability on the mainframe, run with economies of scale that are inherited from the mainframe. So, you know, it, it's a great platform. And like you said, once you... Once you decide that it's a part of you and you own it, then you want to take care of it. You want, you want to make sure that it grows up with you, right, and it continues to provide value. Hey, that was the first half of our interview with Jeff Fry. Yeah, and we'll have the second half of that interview ready for you next week, so stay tuned. Really? Did they get tuned? You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.